Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Security Insider podcast. I am here today with ASIAL President Kevin MacDonald and board members and directors Rachel Saunders and Mike Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very Thanks much. Thank you. Um, so, to set the scene here, at the beginning of each year, ASIAL gets together and has a strategic meeting around what are the objectives that they feel need to be tackled in the industry, what are the priorities for the association, and what are the things that need to be addressed for the benefit of the industry. This today is really just a discussion around what has happened, what has ASIAL done, what have they achieved this year, and what are the goals and, and strategic objectives moving forward. So. Kevin, maybe you, as president of the association, maybe you'd like to kick us off. What were the things that you wanted to focus on this year? Well, I suppose getting back to uh, where John started with the strategic view at the beginning of the year, we did hold a strategic day in February, and generally our strategic day, we uh, focus on the, the board and the secretariat coming together, working through the uh, strategy of, the part of what we have achieved and where we're going. But uh, in 2019, we opened the door to other stakeholders. So other people invited into the room and it was really pleasing that they put their hand up and came without, without question and without fuss. But we had ASIO in the room, the Fair Work Ombudsman, the Federal Attorney General's Department, Queensland Office of Fair Trading, New South Wales Police, New South Wales Security Licensing and Enforcement Directorate, Victoria Licensing and Regulation Division, the Australian Information Security Association and the Master Locksmiths Association of Australia. So on that day we actually broadened the ASIAL strategy away from being internal and seeking input from key stakeholders in our industry where where they can impact upon us and we as an industry can impact upon them. Uh, and they were active in, actively involved in uh, reviewing our strategy and the bottom line was where we have been going and where we are going doesn't change all that much. We're, we we want to drive further industry research and data sharing amongst all. We want to promote the industry's roles and capabilities. We want to drive leadership, raise ethical and professional standards, uh, achieve national uniformity and consistent security licensing, and more stakeholder collaboration. Having said that, we've also got to re understand that uh, these are long-term goals that are going to need planned activity, consultation and investment to get to there. But we will have small wins along the way. And I suppose what we're going to be talking about today is what were those small wins we had in the last 12 months? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know from my own experience and I can imagine there's there's a whole bunch of people in their cars, in their offices and all the rest of it going, oh, oh, oh national uniformity of licensing, let's talk about, we'll get there. Um, we will, we will talk about that, but let's start at the top of the list. Um, who wants to kick off? What, what are some of the big wins that the associations had this year? Well, I think um, uh, under one of our goals of raising ethical and professional standards, we've developed the code of practice for mobile patrols, and that's great for the industry because it gives all uh, companies out there, whether they're working in... Melbourne or Dubbo or, um, you know, wherever they are, a, a guideline about a code of practice for our industry that um, promotes a really good way of being for a patrol company. Uh, we've also uh, further strengthened the security technician certification 
And I know uh, certainly in my organisation, I know quite a few others that are using that certification to improve their technician and technicians and develop a consistent standard that, that's known throughout the industry. There, there are a couple of um, ways that ASIO has um, worked on that. Also, the individual recognition program yeah. that's certainly taken off throughout the industry and um you know, the numbers are just strengthening month after month. And I've got a couple of questions about that too because we were doing some stuff earlier this year at the the big security expo that ASIL runs the conference at. Um, and one of the things was a round table with a number of installation and, and integration companies there. And they said one of the biggest challenges they're having right now is finding suitably qualified and skilled people to actually install systems. So how is the security technician certification going to help them with that? It allows people coming from other industries an easier avenue in. You know, even over the last couple of weeks, I've spoken to um, a couple of people wanting to get out of defence. And they've got similar experience, but not in the security industry, yet their their experience and uh, maturity is incredibly valuable for our industry. So they're able to go along and um, to through the program with Comtech and gain the uh, security skills that's needed um, to, to gain employment. And it, it just allows people an easier avenue into our industry. And I suppose gives the industry a better understanding of where people sit. Sorry, Mike, you were going to say something. Yeah, um, when you talk about um, certification and qualifications and, and people, that's an issue for the industry as digital transformation takes hold, new technologies come into the industry. You know, the, the, the world is changing and, and, and it's changing quickly. There's disruption everywhere. Um, part of our strategy is around what is the future roadmap for the industry and and that's part of what we're working on this year. So when we talk about the calibre of people and raising the standards in the industry, digital transformation and technology, that's a real positive for the industry as long as we resource it properly and that's part of the roadmap that we're putting together to help the industry get to that point and attract those really good calibre people that will give the industry a better profile and a better reputation. You, know, you go back to, um, I was listening to Kevin just in that introduction, then go through that list of organisations who came to our strategy day. W- what that said to me on the day was, here's a group of organisations who are the backbone of the industry, the se- security regulation in Australia, and they look to us for thought leadership as ASIO. They look to Brian and his team, and they... They're now coming to talk to us and through this we influence the future of the industry for the better of the members. You know, that, that whole trust and confidence in the industry, we're influencing that through the Secretariat, through all the work of Brian's team, through the conference that you referred to, John. You know, there are five and a half thousand people mm. um, at the security conference. Um, that That's so important for the future of the industry and that's part of what we made significant progress with this year. And I think as an, as an independent external sort of um, industry commentator, what that says to me, looking at the depth and the breadth of the, the list of organisations and groups and associations you read out earlier, Kevin, just shows that probably now more so than ever, 
people are starting to take the industry seriously and get behind it. They're starting, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like they're starting to see there's some direction there and someone they can actually get behind. Well, you, you're correct there. They're, they're people that we invited to our strategy day. I've got another list here, which I won't run through. There's probably about 30 different uh, names on here of government departments and, and organisations and regulators and the like that have actually come to us for our input when they're looking for where their next move is in the security world and what do they need to look out for as they're developing their, their strategies. And so we go back, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, we might have got half a dozen at best. Now, as I said, we've probably got 30 people on this list in the last 12 months seeking our input and it's not just a matter of ticking the box to say we've consulted with the industry. This is real consultation now. And we're building some really strong uh, relationships in those areas. Yeah. Now, before we get too far off the, the original topic, Rachel, you mentioned the, the Mobile Patrol's code of practice. Why is that yeah. important and where can people find out more about it? Uh, it's available on the ASIO website. Um, but most importantly, it gives patrol companies and also um, clients uh, guidelines for, for what's a code of practice for mobile patrols. You know, if people, um, you know, operate their business it, and, you know, they're not sure or, you know, they've operated their business for 10 years in a particular way, but they're not sure about new standards or new technology. We've had groups of people within the industry work on this document, um, innovate it, improve it, and then release it out to our industry. And it really does provide good information on, on what is a good code of practice for patrol companies out there and um, you know that that's just strengthening our industry and, and people may say that there's an Australian standard that covers that but that's a standard which is just a baseline what this code yeah. of mobile patrols code of practice is is best practice yeah. so it's taking it beyond the baseline and I and think yeah. John sorry yeah, to go add on. to that um, the important thing that again through the secretariat that that we're doing is getting that into the hands, into the supply chain, so yeah. that that's going to the purchasing organisations within organisations, so that they understand. Because often the the people making decisions, supply decisions, don't really understand. They're, they're purchasing professionals. They don't understand the specifics of the service they're looking for. This gives them a document that they can use to measure the quality of the, of the submissions they're getting. And we know what that does is it makes it, it's back to this, you want to deal with an ASIO member because they're at that standard. And that's what we yeah. want to promote. Same thing in the cash in transit sector with the code of practice there. Often organisations who are issuing RFPs, tenders, whatever you want to call them, don't really know what the standards are that they should be getting from their from their suppliers that document does that in addition we had feedback from a number of the regulators around that specific code of practice where they don't not everybody agrees with everything that's in it but it's a starting point but they said this is fantastic because now we got something to work with in terms of you know state legislation or whatever it is that yeah. the regulator wanted to look at again around the standards in the industry you know 
I think we have a clear view. We want the standard so everybody's operating at that quality level and that's better for the reputation of the industry, the confidence that people have in the industry and, and better for our members. And that's what, we, again, great inroads with these codes of practice that have been put together this year. Yeah, and to me, I guess the really important thing about these codes of practice, again, as, a, as someone from outside the association, is that it's really not uncommon for the broad base of the mobile patrol in part of this industry to really be people who've um, come into it as mobile patrol guards and then gone out and started their own company and may not necessarily have a huge amount of experience running a business or those sorts of things, but want to take their organisation to the next level, but not necessarily yeah. have always known how to do it. Well, now you've given them a roadmap. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, that's great. And you know what? While all that's going on, mm. you've got this support group um, in the office or on the road that are providing the members, like you look at the workplace relations service that that we provide for members, you know, through the secretariat. So I think, you know, amongst a host of other things, you know, I don't know whether you're going to mention the podcast series um, uh, later on, but, you know, in terms of, 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 I don't know whether you want to call it, th it's probably not thought leadership, but it's, it's communication updates, some thought leadership in there as well. Yeah, well, I think it is thought leadership because if you, a lot of the people listening to this may have heard, we hope have heard a lot of the other earlier podcasts and, you know, they've covered things from, you know, the perspective of uh, security from CEOs within organisations and security managers through to supply chain and procurement challenges, um, you know, some of the industrial relations challenges that go on in the industry and all the rest of it. And the plans moving forward are to include things like, you know, what are good nutritional practices for people that are working long hours? How can we get better sleep in the yep. industry for people yep. who are doing all sorts of long hours? You know, how can we stay healthy when we're working shift work and all those sorts of things? So, and a lot of these are really podcasts that we do with people who aren't necessarily from the industry, but who are experts in their chosen field to try and provide that thought leadership to not not only help ASIO members, but help people in the security field in general better understand how to get the most out of, of what they're doing, both their people and their practices and their, their business. Um, Kevin, I'm going to throw it back to you. Um, what are some of the other strategic priorities that the association was focusing on this year? There's one here that I'm just thinking about now, and uh, it was our 50th anniversary this year. We've been around 50 years. Absolutely. Milestone. Um, we're 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 strong. We're financial. It's fantastic. We've got a great team in the office. But building on that, the industry, uh, from an association and, and group s situation, we're a little bit fragmented. And one of our goals was to try and bring more of these smaller groups together, so that we work together, so that we're all singing the same from the same hymn book and not going off in different directions. So one of the, one of the uh, uh, successes this year has always been, and it always is every year, is the, uh, the awards night where we had the ASIAL Awards, the Outstanding Security Professional Awards, but this year we also had the Australian Medals Foundation Awards. So we've actually got all the awards in the security industry all come together now in the one place at the one time to a larger audience and particularly with the uh, security, the Australian Medals Foundation, uh, 
the, main, the recipients there are the men on the street that are actually doing the job, working in the shopping centres, working at the events, working in the CBD buildings, and it's fantastic to see those gentlemen and ladies being given an award in front of 400 of their peers and managers and being being uh, being cheered, clapped, and and being given their 10 minutes in the sun. That's fantastic, and so to us that's been a great. A great success. Mm. Um, another success we had along the way, and it's always a little bit difficult getting back to the training aspect, is um, the uh, Cert 2 and Security Operations training package was uh, reviewed, rewritten, stakeholders all over the joint. Uh, as an industry, we're always at risk that somebody would take control of that process and take us down a rabbit hole that we could never get out of. But fortunately, Asia was in a position to. Uh, to, to actually drive the outcome of this to the to the advantage of not only the industry but to the end users and to the end of the officers as well. But uh, John Fleming, our general manager, was instrumental in uh, pulling all of the, all the stakeholders together to come up with a good solution for the industry as a whole. And uh, to me, that was a fantastic because once you're down a rabbit hole. It's hard to turn around and get back out again. And, and Kevin, he put an enormous amount of work into that. He did. And, and really, some of the things that were proposed that he managed to turn around would have been very onerous on the industry and were unnecessary in terms of achieving the standards. Give me an but, example. Oh, just the hours. Just, you know, the, there was a number of the regulators across the country that, that really wanted to impose a ridiculous number of... of training hours that that people had to to uh, undertake in order to be licensed and again we have no problems in fact we're very supportive of increasing the standards in the industry that's important but there's no point making it ridiculous and 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 john where you go well by doing 200 hours do you get any better quality than you got from 100 hours and the answer was no and, and, but John, trying to influence some of those people is, is very difficult. And John did an enormous job across the industry. Um, and, you know, that was weeks and months of man hours spent on that proposal. Well, Rachel, you're at the coalface of this. I mean, you deal with people who go through the training every day as a, an employer. What are your thoughts on that? I think this is such a big milestone in our longer-term industry push for uh, national licensing. It's it's not national licensing, of course, but it, the developing the development of a national training standard is uh, what the industry will really benefit from. You know, to think that we've had you know such a variance in training across every state of Australia when it's the one industry, uh, the security industry, and and we've wanted this for a long time and it's a massive development this year it's um yeah. yeah one thing we're certainly very very proud of and as i say it'll lead us on to that consistent standard throughout australia i guess that that's a good segue to bring us into you know let's talk a little bit briefly about the national licensing and national training i mean i know this has been a point of contention for a long time uh earlier this year we did a podcast in this series around national licensing and I had spoken to Cameron Smith from Sled in New South Wales in the lead up to that and he said, watch this space, there's some stuff happening. 
Are there any updates that you can provide us on any of this at this point in time, or is it still a work in progress? And, you know, I don't think anyone expects it to happen overnight. It's still a work in progress, and it won't happen overnight. But as long as people are starting to... As long as more people other than the industry are talking about it, we're getting closer. You know, the analogy I use, you know, we might have a huge tree in the forest and only a penknife, but if we keep chipping away at that tree with the penknife, eventually we'll get it down. It may take a long time, but we'll get there. I guess related to to the national licensing, there have been a few other bits and pieces that have happened this year that perhaps you can fill in some blanks for the people listening, one of which has been the labour hire and the other one has been the national transportability of um, uh, long-term service leave or long service leave. Um, Where are we at with the national labour hire stuff? Well, from a national perspective, I'm... Again, we're not the experts in this this field. Um, Has the association had much of a hand in the formulation and and guidance of that? No. uh, In Queensland and Victoria, labour hire licensing is in place. Uh, In both instances, the association travelled extensively to both states to lobby, to look at a common sense way of managing this because our industry is licensed through another department in those states where the same questions are being asked, the same information is being collected, and now there's another department who wants to do labour hire licensing, asking the same questions, asking for the same information, and we sort of thought, well, wouldn't common sense suggest that both departments talk to each other? But I would maybe it's too hard in the in the bureaucratic world. But this is um, this is an interesting point to touch on for a second here before we move on because I'm sure there are people listening to this who run companies, who work in companies that are experiencing a sense of frustration. And I'm detecting the same frustration coming from you as the association that runs the industry. A lot of people probably don't realise just how hard you've been working to try and iron this stuff out. So let's talk about that for a well, second. Well, it is frustrating because we, Mike, myself, the other directors, the secretary, we're people that come from a commercial environment. We know how businesses operate. We know what, what gets in the way of businesses being being successful, actually getting the job done. But we're, we're fighting in a world of, of bureaucrats who are good in the bureaucrat world, but they don't know the commercial realities of actually providing a service. And and then you, you, you're constantly beating your head against the wall in that situation. How, having said that, South Australia was heading down the same line and we went to South Australia, we lobbied there. Whether it was our lobbying or other people or just the guy, in the, the people in the South Australian department looking at this, they actually thought, well, hang on, we've already captured you guys under the security licensing aspect. We don't need to capture you a second time. Okay, you're off the list in South Australia. We'll focus on the others. So there was a small win there and, you know, luckily for the South Australians. But the world is changing. I know the Mor- we're aware the Morrison government and everybody would be at this stage is looking at a national labour hire licensing regulation. Uh, another bit of red tape. It's it's being done for all the right reasons when you look at the the number of situations of wage theft across the country. It doesn't matter what industry it is. It's even the big guys, um, you know, uh, have been dabbling an, in it. Um, but we're we're always caught in there because, it, and I don't want to be negative about the industry, but we're our own worst enemy at times because we go out and find ways of doing things incorrectly 
which brings the light upon us and then people come in and find out that we have been um, underpaying. And this morning we had a uh, our AGM in Sydney and we, there was a breakfast and we had a, a present presenter today that in New South Wales in this day and age on a government run or private public partnership project in New South Wales where they went out and investigated and we're talking in the last 12 months they found subcontracting on the security aspect down five levels to a point where the person at the bottom was on an ABN getting paid a flat rate of $17 an hour. Yeah. Cash. Cash. Yep. And we're talking about a very high profile infrastructure project in New South Wales. The the current state government beat themselves on the chest on this were for months and days and even now it's it's always there as, as being a primary infrastructure win but here we have a situation where the industry's gone out and decided to put on our Ronald McDonald red shoes and fall over ourselves. So we bring it upon ourselves. So there are going to be people listening to this again saying, okay, we get that, but what's ASIL doing about that? And and what, I mean, look, this is one of those points that I think the industry needs clarification on. You're not omnipotent. You don't have superpowers. What can ASIL do about these sorts of things? And what is the association doing? Well, we don't have any powers, to be honest. We're not the regulator. We don't actually represent 100% of the security industry in Australia. We represent our members. Yeah. And in numbers, we're representing possibly 25% of, of security companies in Australia. What can we do with our members if we, if we identify that they are not um, acting correctly? Uh, we, through our code of conduct and our disciplinary measures and all that sort of stuff, we can exit members from the association, but we don't have the right to go and be the, uh, the lawmaker. That's not our job. Our job is to educate. We try our best to educate through all of our mediums. Our other task is, and when I ran off that list of people there before, is to educate those people because they're people who are regulators, they are influencers, and they are people who can make a, d a difference. And the 30-odd people that approached us this year, once again, it's our job to influence them because they can be change makers. And so that's... Yeah, it is frustrating and I'm starting to sound a little bit no, frustrated. Well, I, I think it's important though because I think there's still a throwback to the days of when it was a co-regulatory model that people seem to think that ASIL is responsible for the governorship of the industry and they don't necessarily realise that it's not. You know, you're you're not in a position to be able to try and run the industry. That's what the various licensing divisions are throughout Australia. So let's go back, John, to wh where we started Yep. Um, with Kevin talking about the people who are at the strategy day. And, and you know, I've only been in this role for three years. What I've seen just in that three years is these people coming to talk to us about what are the challenges in the industry that they need to deal with. So that issue Kevin just raised around ABN operators, you know, we, we had... A, a breakfast um, <clears throat> only a few months ago and one of the regulators was at that breakfast and that was a specific issue that was raised with them that they're going to attempt to deal with 
through the next form of change that they're making to the regulation. So really, I think, you know, we've moved along the path of it's not co-regulation anymore. It's now influencing and collaboration. And that's where we spend so much of... That's where Brian and the team spend so much of their time. Um, you talked a moment ago around long service leave portability. Okay. Uh, we argued against that um, in, in a number of states, including Victoria. Um, the government decided to proceed with it. There's nothing you can do once that happens. Yep. So you take the next step down, which is what we do as ASIAL, and say, well, okay, how do we then help influence what's going to happen? It's, it's agreed. And, and Rachel, you might want to touch on this because what Rachel then agreed to do was volunteer to be on the board of the Long Service Leave Portability in Victoria. And, and, and th so Rachel's now on that board, um, which has got a lot of government representation, but now some private industry representation from the security industry. Rachel, do you want to expand a little on that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm on the board to represent the industry and the needs of the industry. So on this board, um, we're half... Um, union representation, half employer representation, but really I'm the only direct security industry person. The other um, uh, people representing employers are sort of more association people, not specifically, I guess, related to an industry. So my role is to um, bring direct information about um, how they can communicate with our industry, um, the types of companies, you know, how the, the computer system should work that would um, benefit us, um, all sorts of things to try and ensure that the implementation of portable long-service leave in Victoria doesn't harm the industry, you know, and it's it's administered and as best that it, it, it can be. Um, you know, if you if you think that, you know, an hour rate in Victoria is 1.8% and margins on guarding contracts are very low, sometimes they're smaller than 1.8%. Um, if only a certain amount of companies comply with this, then the pricing model within our industry is going to widen even further um, and therefore will harm the industry. So it's, it's really important that all of the industry has to comply with this, not just the major companies or, you know, that the whole of the industry is aware of it, complies with it, and that there is strong compliance around it um, because ultimately that benefits, you know, every company that's operating correctly. And that as an industry association is what we try and promote right across the board. You know, um, Kevin touched on the shows that, that, you know, the conferences that we've had and the awards night. But part of uh, ASIL is also helping companies understand how to pay their people and, and the compliance regime. You know, I don't like the term wage theft because a lot of the time it's just simply lack of understanding or mistakes that are made. ASIL's got a lot of support for our members um, to help them understand what they should be paying and when they should be paying it. You know, the the industrial landscape is complex. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, not only do we have industrial experts on board, 
that are just a phone call away for our members. But if you look at some of the things that um, the associations, you, you know, devised this year with the podcasts and articles and videos and a whole range of things to communicate to our members who, you know, maybe could never get to a conference or or mix and network at some of the breakfasts. It's um, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Let's go back and talk about that a little bit. One of the goals that you had outlined as a board earlier this year was to um, gain a better understanding of customer needs and the usage and trends of security and then sort of try and dive down into how the industry is operating and, and what it's doing. And you've had a couple of big wins here this year. There were two papers in particular um, that came out from Aspie, one around guarding and crowded places, another another one um, the, uh, from boardroom to the situation room. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Well, these the association is only too pleased to invest on research papers that work for the industry. And both of these papers were put to us as being for the industry and what are the strengths of the industry and where the end users and the regulators need to start looking at. And there's you know, just a small statement here from Safety in Numbers um, is that the private security guarding sector is a vital piece of the national security puzzle that has not been drawn into Australia's counter-terrorism planning. And that's, that's correct. And, and that's a huge oversight by the security s- structure in Australia is that we're, we're an invisible group that sits to the side of the important part of security. And, and, but we're the ones that are putting in the CCTV systems, the access control systems. We're the ones that are designing these systems. We're the, we're the security consultants out there putting all these strategic, situa- in, strategic systems in place. We've also got 120, 130,000 security officers out there. And once again, th- at times they're invisible, you know. When it comes to the Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne next year, on the thir- Wednesday, sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there'll be 1,200 security officers every day out there. But no one will see 1,200. They'll see one over here and one over there and one down the back. But keep in mind, those 1,200 people are, ke- are keeping that environment safe for everybody to enjoy their day or days. And um, you don't have any issues in situations like that. So... That's where these these documents are written by high-level educators. They are delivered at a very high level. These things, these documents end up in um, Department of Home Affairs head office, and uh, you know that, that's the, that's part of their um, audience is high-level government um, decision makers. Mm. And it's good that those documents arrive there and it's great that we're in a position to be able to be part of that. Yeah, and if for any reason people haven't come across those yet, there's there's three papers in particular, the two by the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, Safety in Numbers, and From the Boardroom to the Situation Room, they're both available through the ASIL website. Uh, com, and there's the Australian Security Research Centre piece as well around workplace violence. So if you haven't seen those, go and check them out. On that similar vein, one of the things that the board undertook this year was really to try and do more to 
bring more awareness around not just ASIL itself, but also the value of security to the industry and the population and just what is the security industry. So walk me through some of the things that you've done this year to try and raise awareness around security. That's all Where right. do we start? <laughs> so, Where do we stop? Well, so look, you've, you've got the... You, we've got our website. You had the annual industry exhibition and conference this year, yeah. which was good. And yeah, that's right. And I don't know how many people there. Six, nearly seven thousand people attended that. Yep. We had the uh, conference, which was a sellout. We had various dinners and the like that were sell, that were sell, sell, sellouts. You mentioned before the bringing together of the three awards: the Excellence Awards, the Oscars, and the Australian Security Medals. That's correct. But we constantly are trying mm. to get information out. We we have an e-newsletter that goes out regularly. Uh, unfortunately, some of those probably end up in junk mail and the like, but I do know that if people open them up, they will find uh, wonderful information. Our website's another thing. We we have a an advertising budget, but it's a difficult... It's an intangible thing to advertise to the market, ASIAL, promoting the security industry. So that... They're... These podcasts are, are being uh, are a part of our marketing, a part of our advertising, part of our promotion, part of our education, because at least then the pers- we know the persons who have listened to them are actually listening. We know how many people are listening. And I think we're getting a, a greater touch point with this initiative than by putting an advertisement in a magazine, which we have done in the past. They, they come, they go, they disappear. Um, it, it is a difficult thing. Yeah, sorry, Rachel, go on. Oh, that's all right. There's also, um, I mean, the Secretariat is uh, continually uh, doing a lot of media with, um, you know, you would have seen Brian, the CEO, on um, on the morning shows and Current Affair, and, but there's a lot more media that happens. There's been lots of articles in different trade publications and presentations to many, many industry events um, and yeah, monthly we have a whole list in our board papers of all the media that the association um, has has achieved during that time. So it's it's ongoing and it's a continual focus to promote the industry to to others out there in the wider marketplace. But also, I think Kevin touched on before the the range of people that are now coming to ASIL to for us to comment and for our opinion on certain matters because of, of the credibility of the organisation out there in, in the in the greater environment it is um, yeah, really um, beneficial to the industry as well. Then yep. there was yep. the consumer awareness. Yep. So... Um, we didn't do any, didn't do a lot of um, direct consumer advertising the year before. Um, last year, uh, we ran a whole campaign um, around consumer awareness using m- multiple um, forums. Uh, sorry, not forums. Um, what's the word I'm looking platforms. for? Platforms. Um, you know, some being magazines, some being in the uh, advertisements in in um, uh, picture theatres and things like that. Movies. Um, again. That's all about promoting use an ASIL member uh, yep. around the credibility of the industry. If you want to get it done right with your CCTV or whatever else it is, use an ASIL member. We're looking at that again this year, evaluating the success of that through the marketing people and, and, and going, so where do we go next um, with the consumer awareness? Because that, that's part of what we want 
is is in the, in the secretary it works towards is is consumers going I need an ASIO member because yep. I know yep. I'm getting I'm getting product or service delivered to a standard yeah. and not just an ASIO member but a licensed security practitioner because yeah. it's yeah. important that I think people understand that as well um, now Rachel you touched on before the individual recognition program but there's been an important uh, an important development there too to my understanding insofar as security professionals Australia now being rolled in under that with the security professionals registry tell us a little bit about that and what that means for the industry yeah that's also part of our our greater goal of of forging stakeholder collaboration and and the, the joining of, of different organisations together for a stronger security industry. So the security professionals there, uh, they will now come under our individual recognition program. Um, so rather than running their, their own and, and that they had a smaller um, resourcing that they could allocate to it, um, they will now come under the ASIO um, program that we have out there in the marketplace. And I must say our program is certainly uh, recognised um, and it's got credibility out there in the market and it's uh, it's very known. So that's going to benefit the security professionals as well. Yep. And I, John, I sorry, spoke to a few people. That, yep. that, that, that awards dinner, that... that that's probably the best thing I've been involved in this year, and I didn't have anything to do with it other than 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 turn up to go and talk to people. And Kevin touched on it earlier, and Rachel's touched on it, um, who who were recognised for what they see as doing their job. It is they just they're overwhelmed by it, and and I was overwhelmed as well. But but also I spoke to a couple of you know a few of the people who own security businesses. And, and they see it as a fantastic opportunity for their people to be recognised for things that, you know, you know, a guard in a shopping centre, you know, they go and do things and you go, wow, you know, I, one guy's telling me about, you know, two guards in a shopping centre who disarmed a bloke with a knife. Now, you know, mm. I don't know whether they're training, they probably were trained not to do that, but they did yeah. it, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, to get re- the, rec- yeah, they do some amazing things. Our industry's an amazing industry with people who do amazing things. So to have something like that, we're just a small group of those people, unfortunately, but it's just only a small group, can get that recognition. I just think that's fantastic. Well, look, I'm going to make a shameless plug here because, well, let's face it, I'm in, con- I'm in control of the record and pause button and no one can stop me. Um, but the Australian <laughs> Security Medals Foundation is something that's been going for about 10 years now. You guys have brought it into part of what ASIL is doing, but... It's something that a lot of the industry doesn't know about and it's really, really, really worth getting behind. I will freely admit I used to sit on the board, so this is a shameless plug because I love it. Um, But it really is all about recognising the amazing stuff that the people in the industry do. And it's not just about what security officers do. It's also about what security professionals in the industry do as far as contributing to the ongoing body of knowledge that we have around security. But you you hear some of the stories that get presented at these awards. We had one a couple of years ago where uh, the lady was in her mid to late 50s. She was working as a security officer in a courtroom in rural Australia. Um, A group of people had come into the court. They were adversarial towards another group of people that were in the court related to a different case. 
couple of them set upon one of these guys. This woman lay on top of the guy and protected him with her own body while they were kicking seven colours of daylight out of him. Literally lay on top of him because that was the only thing she could do to protect him. Amazing. No one hears about this stuff. So Amazing. You know, if you're listening to this, there was another one, a, a guy who was working as a security officer on the uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Someone tried to jump off the bridge. He ran over, he talked them down, he wrestled them off the barbed wire. They were bleeding profusely. They were screaming at this guy, I'm HIV positive, I want to die, just let me go. He wrestled this guy for 30 minutes knowing in his mind that he thought he was HIV positive. Um thought he was going to contract HIV as a result of it. Later on, when he was interviewed as part of the debrief of that, they said to him, why'd you do it? He's like, because that's my job. That's what I'm the story, there for. And they're the stories we want to bring to the, to the Australian market, to the consumer. Absolutely. Because it's, a, it's about, yeah. and, 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 and Kevin touched on it before as well, you know, around these are the frontline people, whether it's a simple thing like that or domestically we related, or or around, you know, national security issues. And, and, and we will continue to do the things we've done this year, next year, even more so around promoting those things with consumers and regulators and, and, and government, where we, you know, we, we now have the door open to get into government, whether it's federal or, or state. Yep. And, and I mean, the other one that I'm aware that ASIL is, uh, is taking on board or in the throes of taking on board for next year is getting involved with International Security Officers Day, which is a great initiative yeah. for companies to recognise the people that work for them and for clients to recognise the guards that provide security services and just give them a smile and a nod and a wink and say thank you to say, we get that you're there and we understand that you're there and you're providing a service. And I think that's really important. Yeah, they are, really are, you know, you've given examples of people who've just gone beyond. I don't think any any of us would have actually thrown ourselves in harm's way, but they have because they love it. There's some I don't some, know, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> there are some fantastic people out there and what I see in those offices the environments that they work in, the buildings they work in, you know, particularly buildings, CBD buildings, and and where they they've got a uh, they're on a uh, rotating roster at the same location, they know more about that building, the goods, the bads, the bunny holes, where to go to get this, who to go and talk to to get that sorted out, and they end up becoming the go-to for the tenants. And they're also the go-to for the building owner because they know more about the building than the building owner. And unfortunately, when when we look out at this CT environment, it's those guys there that can assist the the, the law enforcement bodies when there is a situation because they know more about the, the structure, the emergency planning and where everything sits, where the law enforcement, they don't know. They've got to go and find this guy to find out how does this place work? Yeah. For people who, who want to know more about these initiatives, by the way, if you want to know more about the Australian Security Medals and you want to nominate people for this year, which I can't encourage you enough to go and do, go to www.inspiringsecurity.com. If you want to know more about International Security Officers Day, hold that thought because I believe AZ will have a website coming over the next few months. Um and as I said, it's not the, 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 the security medals is not just about guards. It's also about people who do things to try and grow the body of knowledge. So people who've done tireless work to try and increase, um, 
you know, work around security standards, people who've done work around building the knowledge of risk management, people who've put in place amazing security programs. A lot of the recipients over the years have been people who have um, come from a security background or used their security background to put in place community programs for underprivileged kids to give them access to education, after school resources, community safety. You know, if you know people who are working in this industry that deserve to be recognised, get in contact with ASIL and for goodness sake, give them a nomination because, you know, too often in the media we see all the stuff that makes us look bad as an industry. We don't hear enough about what makes us look good. But if you take it on balance, it's 95% good, 5% clowns. Let's not let the clowns run the show. And, and those good people are sharing the stage at that awards night with other people who are showing what great solutions we bring to the market yeah. and yeah. what innovation we bring to the market. And, you know, um, often small businesses um, who have invested significant amount of money and time to develop something because it's a passion. So we'll continue to support that because that gives them an opportunity. To, at, you know, there's places to showcase things, but also to, to, to recognise them for the effort they've put in to, to the future of the industry. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to start to wrap this up with one final category. We've spoken about the fact that you've um, you've forged relationships this year with the Medals Foundation. I'm sure people think I've spoken enough about that. And also um, the Security Professionals Association. But there's a number of stakeholder groups that you've got MOUs with this year. Tell us a little bit about that and why you've done that. Oh, there's a this, the cyber security world is, um, I suppose it's a it's a black box that sits on the edge of a desk somewhere I suppose not everybody knows about cyber security it is security it's got the word in it um, and we have um, got a couple of MOUs in place one with the Australian Information Security Association who are cyber security experts they're the Australian group um, and that we've got together because we're all in the security space and cyber security is becoming more and more uh, a concern uh, with everything living in the cloud these days and not within the four walls of your own control. Um, if you're working as a security officer, and this is my sp our, the Asian spin on things, if you're working as a security officer, you've got to have a cert to, you've got to have your local state licence and you've got to have your background check and you've got to go through these various hoops so you can go and work as a security officer. To work in the cyber security world, you don't need to have any of that sort of stuff. And yep. so where's one of the biggest weaknesses in cyber security? And that's the trusted uh, insider. And uh, so that's that's the Asian view on these things, but we don't have the expertise in cyber security. So that's why we've got an uh, MOU with the AISA, uh, because they have the expertise. And that allows us, when we can do joint submissions and we're the, the first one I think is about to go in we're on cyber security I think there's another one we're looking at at the moment so we'll get the uh, Asian name out there we're building the expertise within our organization and we've got a great relationship with uh, AISA and uh, that's why because cyber security is going to become a bigger and bigger thing and uh, it's, as I said, it's a little black box on the corner, on the corner of a desk at the moment. Uh, we need to know more about it. Absolutely. And just in closing, we're at the end of 2019. 
what's 2020 look like? What, uh, there's, uh, there's some work I believe you're doing with the Singapore Security Industry Association. Yeah, I, I think um, we're talking to a number of associations. Um, just going back on what, what Kevin was just talking about, you know, we're also collaborating with the Forum of Australasian Security Executives, which is the group that covers basically all of the national companies that, that our industry supplies services to. So again, they're keen to talk to us and collaborate as we are with them because that's around, they want to make sure the standards are high, we want to make sure the standards are high, that's good for our members um, around a level playing field when it comes to bidding for their services. Um, talk, talk about 2020 and beyond, John. You know, the, the things that we're looking at are, this is, you know, what is the roadmap for the future for the security industry? Now, everybody will, will do their own things there, but Kevin touched on cyber, you know, you can talk about artificial intelligence and digital transformation and, and, and all of these types of things. Part of our job, and, and we're working on it now, is to talk to people, get a handle on what that roadmap looks like for the future, um, influence government and regulators about that, but help our members along the journey to make sure they can satisfy the services that the market will want in the years to come. And, you know, frankly, my view, if, if you're just providing... And this is my view, not not Hazel's view. You know, the world of just providing a very simple service to a customer won't exist in the years to come. In the years to come, if you're not using smart digital solutions, then to optimise the that service for the customer, then you'll struggle in the marketplace. Our job is to make sure through all the things we've spoken about before that we're briefing our members on that and we're helping them along that journey so they have better businesses and more successful businesses to provide those services. Mm. Um, Singapore is one association we're talking to. There's a number of other global associations, other associations across the globe where we're just getting a few ideas from that frankly just fit in with where our thinking is already. Yeah. So if I understand all of this correctly in, in wrapping up, in addition to providing the usual support services that ASIO does around industrial relations, legal issues, ongoing compliance, training and all the rest of it, in the last 12 months you've introduced a, a national uniformity or you've, you've been working towards national uniformity in licensing and training. You've introduced Mobile Patrol's Code of Practice. You've introduced a security technician certification. You've introduced the individual recognition program. You've had your 50th anniversary. You've done a huge amount of work on the international standards for CCTV and played a pivotal role in those. You've introduced a new podcast series. You've introduced a range of videos helping people better understand what it is that the industry does and the value of the industry. You have formed relationships with a whole range of people. You've significantly grown the pool of stakeholders that you're working with. Um, yeah, the list goes on and on and on, but it sounds to me like, and I'm getting getting trouble and I have no doubt for saying this, but it sounds to me that for an, an association that does nothing for its members, you've done a lot for people this year. Yeah, Would I definitely. be correct in assuming that? <laughs> correct, John. Yeah, oh, it's, okay. it's, it's, I suppose the challenge there is, you said it succinctly, but the challenge is getting it out to all of the members so that they can see the value of what we're doing. 
and what we've done may impact on some, it may not impact on others, but believe me, if we're not doing any of this, this industry will be in a totally worse situation than what it is now. Yeah, and that doesn't include the papers that were written and the other bits and pieces that were authored as well. So I don't know about you ladies and gentlemen listening to this, but it seems to me like there's been a lot of activity going on this year. Um, thank you everyone for joining us on the podcast and if you would like to know more about the ASIAL series and the, pod, the Insider podcasts, check them out. There's about 13 now I think in the, uh, in the program. You can go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Blurberry and all the other great places that you'll find podcasts. Have a fantastic Christmas if we don't hear from you beforehand and uh, thank you very much and we'll talk to you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.